The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to the first epistle to Timothy, chapter 3. And this evening we will continue our study on uh, the doctrine of the church, and we're looking at our third lesson concerning the office of the pastor. Uh, I'm taking a good deal of time with this. Uh, this is the third message. I have one more that uh, to go on this. But as I teach on this, I am treading kind of cautiously because I know what you will do. You'll take the scriptures, and like good Bereans, you will scrutinize very carefully, and you'll weigh me against scripture and see if I'm what I'm supposed to be. So I recognize that uh, before I began to teach this lesson and, and, the, and the ones that I have in the past. But the pastor's position is a very critical one to the church. That's because the pastor, in standing in the pulpit preaching God's word, represents Christ. And the pastor is you might say, a point of contact with you through the Word of God so that uh, the pastor leads you as Christ led and he has a responsibility to educate you. He's to be your friend. He's to be a confidant to you. And so that does make the pastor's position a very, very important one in the church. James made this uh, important statement. He said, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And James was just laying out there how a pastor has such great responsibility. He's going to be held accountable more than any other single person in the church for the way that he serves the Lord. So whenever you give me grief, then just know this, I've already got a lot of grief coming from somebody a lot higher than you. So uh, just don't forget that. I have a higher authority than even the people in this church. But here in the epistles to 1 Timothy and Titus, we find two places of Scripture that give us details about the office of the pastor, and we're looking at this particular one in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you look at verse number 1, we'll read these verses again. Uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, I might add to this that I, I intended just that I would preach one message on this. But you know how I am. I, I get on something, I just couldn't stop. So I, I just kept going here. And so we're going to look once again this evening at uh, what these verses teach 
I mentioned before that it would take a seminary course to go through all the things that a pastor needs to learn, and that's why you, uh, one of the reasons that you have uh, teachers in seminaries is so they can do that, and so you get much more in-depth studies than I can give you. But uh, we're going to look at what we can learn in the, in the next few minutes about these verses here that Timothy or Paul wrote to Timothy. Now, just to list the previous parts of the outline for you, we've already talked about two or three of these, so... Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We first looked at the terms that are applied to the office. And in the New Testament, there are three terms. That is the pastor, elder, and bishop. Three terms, but there's just one office. Next, we looked at the call to the office, that there is a personal God-appointed call to be the pastor of a church. But then there's also a corroborating call that comes from the church And that's when the church recognizes a man's gift and his desire to be the pastor of the church. So God issues an inward call to the man. The church issues an outward call. The inward call is he works with the man's heart. The outward call is the church's ordination or the election by the people to the man of the man to his office. Thirdly, we talked about the duties of the office. And those duties are primarily three. And everything the pastor does will fall under one of these headings, either instruction, shepherding, or administration. Now, fourthly, we looked at the character of the pastor. And this is where we left off the last time. And this is mainly what these verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3 are about. They are about the pastor's character. So we have a list of qualifications that are given here. So we'll run through a few of these. Uh, The pastor must be blameless. We talked about that last time, that a pastor is not to have any glaring sins in his personal life that would disqualify him by bringing reproach upon the name of Christ or upon the Lord's church. Now, we are all sinners, and you need to remember that because the pastor certainly does know that he is a sinner, that we do have feet of clay and we will sin, But a pastor's sins are not to be of the variety that would be a public disgrace. But whatever a pastor's sins are, they do have to be daily confessed. And and he must have his feet firmly planted in the sanctification process every day of his life. A pastor has to shun evil. He must shun every appearance of evil. And that's in order to protect the good name of the Lord's church and of Christ himself. Now, secondly... The the scripture says that a pastor must be the husband of one wife. And as I pointed out last week, the Greek literally reads here, one woman man. Now perhaps that may carry with it the meaning that he cannot be divorced. But especially in this context, it means that the pastor must be devoted to his wife. Or that is, devoted to one woman. That he's not to have a, a roving eye. He's not to divide his affections with other women. And that was something that was important for Paul to get across in his day because it was just a sexually depraved society that he ministered to. And we know that we are experiencing very much of the same kinds of things in our world today, especially here in America. And so the ministry in many cases has become scandalous. And it's not unusual to find churches nowadays that have had pastors that have fallen 
They've gotten into sexual sin, but then almost immediately those men are restored to their positions. Uh, just as soon as the, their escapades have been found out, then uh, it's over with. They repent and they come back into the pastorate. Well, I think we have to be very careful about that. that God demands much more than that from us. Now, believe it or not, I was uh, reading an article the other day that was talking about a, a reality show that is planned on one of the networks. Now, I don't know how many of you watch reality shows. Uh, you're crazy if you do. But if you watch reality shows, you might want to watch this one because this is a reality show about health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. Now, there are two things that this show is going to be about, and uh, you can probably guess one of them. One's going to be their rich lifestyles. That's going to be part of it. But you know what the other one is? It's going to be the other part of it is about the infidelity of these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. Now, I don't know how they're going to get around all of that, but that's not a big deal to those folks. You know, they, they live right on through that. But that, a, a person couldn't be that and be a pastor. Then we talked about this characteristic of a pastor, that he must be temperate. The word vigilant means temperate. And when you couple that with the beginning of verse number 3, it refers to the use of alcohol. And no Christian ought to drink alcohol, but especially a pastor ought not to have any part of that, should never touch it. And I'll remind all of you, although looking over this congregation, I don't know that I really need to do this, but I will remind you that drinking alcohol is strictly forbidden by the Constitution and bylaws of the Berean Baptist Church. So members of Berean Baptist Church are not to do that, and we don't think that any Christian ought to do it. Fourthly, the pastor is to be prudent. We see the word sober here in the text, and that means prudent. It means of a sound mind, that a pastor must reason well. He needs to be studied well. He needs to be wise in the Word of God. Fifthly, we talked about the pastor being a gentleman. Uh, he is to be of good behavior. And I thought it was a little unusual that when I looked this up and started studying this out some, that almost all commentators agreed on this, that not only does it talk about how a man acts, that he's be a man of good behavior in that way, with manners, but it also said a lot about his dress, that a, that a, that a pastor needs to watch the way that he dresses. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about a pastor's decorum. He represents Christ. He is in a dignified office, and so he ought to mind his manners and dress in a dignified way. His speech ought to be serious. When we get into the pulpit, this is not, in my opinion, not a place for a lot of joking and carrying on. We need to be serious about what we do in this pulpit. Now, to go a little bit further, and I'm not going to be able to cover everything that's in here individually. Uh, we've already discussed some of these things and will in other areas. But notice verse number 3 says, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, of filthy lucre. So the next thing, the sixth thing, letter F on your listening sheet, is that a pastor cannot be a lover of money. A pastor cannot be driven by money. And I think that Paul must have been maybe a little bit puzzled by this when the Holy Spirit had him write this. Now, as a general principle, of course, a man shouldn't seek the office of the pastor for money, and he shouldn't be scheming to get money. But in Paul's day, that would have been a very, very difficult thing to do. Now, I mentioned how that uh, churches were poor, and, and how that uh, being a pastor of a church was not 
considered to be a very good occupation. It would be very difficult for a pastor in those days to, to gain money and notoriety by becoming the pastor of a church. So being a pastor wasn't usually a great career move, but what it would do, it could put a man in a position where he was actually wondering where he would get his next meal. Now, later on, we're going to discuss the support of the pastor. Uh, and But Paul wants a, a potential pastor to know that if he lusts after money, then in this job, then he's going to spend all of his days worrying about how he's going to get it. Now, Paul showed his attitude towards it in Philippians chapter 4. He said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am struck, instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, the Philippian church had taken care of Paul for a time, but there was something that happened that interrupted that support, and they couldn't help him for a little while, but then they resumed the, that support. And then Paul told them that he was grateful that they did. He was happy for the support, but he said, I've learned to be content. Whether I've got a little bit or I've got a lot, I have learned to be content. Well, you can imagine that the love of money, and you do know this, it's a difficult problem for any person. Money is a problem for any person. And it can also be very hard for a pastor. He's not immune to the love of money. And I've known good pastors that have got caught up in, in a money trap and they started to look for all different kinds of outside sources of income, and, and that just runs them into trouble. I know of one pastor that got involved in a subprime lending scheme, and uh, he got the, several of the members of the church involved that, in that as well, and he ended up causing the ruin of several families in the church when that thing went, went haywire, went bust. So he destroyed people financially. Then I was told about another pastor that, that begged and pleaded and preached that people should cash in their retirement incomes, their retirement accounts, and, and to sell their property and to give all that to the church in order that the church could build more buildings. And while the people were selling their property, the pastor was buying property and putting it in, building his own little nest egg for him when he got older. Well, I don't think that the Bible tells a pastor to, to get involved in those kinds of things, to get involved in those types of investments. Uh, money can rule a pastor. And before he knows it, he can be caught in a trap, and, and that starts to take all the focus away from the church and can even involve him in some very dishonest transactions. And that's exactly what we see happening in the health, wealth, and prosperity uh, uh, gospel among those churches. I mean, there's no question that those men are in love with money because it becomes the focus of their entire ministries. They're corrupt, and they prey on very desperate people that want to become rich themselves. Now, Isaiah wrote about that problem, about the prophets and the priests of Israel. He said, his watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant, they are all dumb dogs, they cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. Now, Isaiah wrote that hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but it sounds like a very modern problem. I mean, the charismatics, the word of faith preachers, I mean, these people are so far away from the truth of God's word, they're blind as bats. They pervert the word of God, and, 
And they do that in order to support their inane interpretations of Scripture. And so what they do is they just gather in money from people hand over fist and until they come to the place that they would make a sultan of Dubai dubious over what they have, or envious, I should say, of what they have. So money corrupts. And that's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And we can't, you can't even imagine that Jesus would have sanctioned pastors to do this, to be involved with the very thing that he said would damn men's souls to hell. Well, one of the issues in dealing with money in the church is that the pastor actually does have the authority to handle all the finances of the church. Now, I believe that the pastor has that responsibility. He has the ultimate responsibility for church finances. But I think this is a place where a pastor needs to tread very carefully. I know there are many independent Baptist pastors that control all of the funds of the church, that they make unilateral decisions, they spend money whenever and wherever they feel like it. And I call that a very, very dangerous practice. So in our church, we have checks and balances. Uh, Although I do have the authority to handle the bank accounts, I don't. Although I have authority that I could sign checks if I wanted, I don't. I haven't taken that kind of authority. I don't think that it's wise that I do. I don't want to be in a place where anybody could accuse me of misappropriating the church's money. And so I'd much rather leave that up to other people and let them handle that. Money's just too big of a temptation, too much room for scandal, too much ammunition for people to use against the pastor. So we just turn it over to others and let the church judge the priority of the financial affairs. Now, you'll also notice that in the end of the verse, Paul says that a pastor is not to be covetous. Of course, that means that he's not to be a lover of money. And if he's not a lover of money, then he won't be covetous. But sometimes that's very hard. Uh, It's hard for a pastor not to be covetous. When you get a new car, I'd like to have your new car. And when you uh, go on vacation, when Gary goes to Europe and gets to go see Spurgeon's church and John Knox's church, well, I get envious of that and I'd like to do that too I mean I want I want to do those things so I have to come to the place well let's tell Gary don't tempt me with that if I can't go you can't go just stay home Um, but that's that's a hard thing I get envious of that but we're not to be covetous but recycling back to false teachers the love of money is really one of the huge motivators for false teachers now first we recognize that truth truth itself Uh, living by the word of God and doing what God says is not going to lead us to a big bank account. The the ministry was not designed for personal enrichment. And so a a godly man that gets into the ministry knows that he's been put there for the Lord's sake, not for his own personal enrichment. But a false prophet has a, a different motivation. And it seems like over and over in Scripture that that keeps coming up. It it just keeps coming up whenever the apostles and others, the prophets, whenever they talk about false teachers, it always seems like there's money that follows along behind that. Um, So you you remember even going back to uh, Judas, who was the first treasurer of the church, that he followed Jesus around, Uh, he looked like he was a good disciple, and he followed hoping for the material prospects of the kingdom. And when that didn't materialize, 
Judas got anxious and decided he needed to do something about it. He needed to salvage all that he could. And what did he do? He ended up betraying the Lord. He ended up selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. That's the kind of hold that money can have over people. So that's the way of a false teacher. Money is the object. And whenever you find a a preacher that has all of his focus on money, watch out. If that's where he spends all of his time, be very careful of that person. Peter said, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now the long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And as I said, you see this over and over again when uh, the, the Bible is dealing with false teachers. This issue of money keeps coming up again and again. And so God warns pastors against that. Now the next thing the scripture says is the pastor is to have control of his house. Verse 4 says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now there's a lot that we could discuss on this issue, talking about children, but I, I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to make it a message about, about uh, treat, how you're supposed to raise your children. So let me just make a few comments about this, maybe just some observations that I have. I remember when I was young that there was a missionary that we supported in Brazil. And uh, this missionary had a couple of small children, and, and they were uh, certified, bona fide brats. I mean, they were terribly horrible kids. I hated to see them come. Now, this was when I was young, and so they were just about my age. I hated to see them come because every time they did came to visit us, they'd get into my toys, they'd tear everything up, and they'd make a mess of everything. They were ornery, they were mean. And there were people who hated to see this missionary come. He was a good guy, a sweet fellow, really, and his wife was too. But they had absolutely no control over their children. And so people... Even though they loved them, they hated to see them come to their house because there was just no control. I don't know if I told you about this before. Maybe I did a long time ago. But this missionary, when he would preach, I I remember when I was young, that his kids would come up in the middle of the sermon and they'd be running in between his legs while he was trying to deliver a sermon. I mean, just absolutely no control of them whatsoever. Well, that was a bad testimony for that man. He did had no control of his house. Now, a pastor has to be able to control his children. And while they're still in the home, these are, his children ought to be compliant. They ought to be examples. They need to stay out of trouble. That's good for his ministry. And if his children don't act that way, that shows that they don't have any respect for him. And then I also think that it's important for, for well, not just the adolescent children, but adult children of pastors. I, uh, a pastor obviously has no control over this. He, he can't do anything about it. But the children themselves really ought to think about what their, what their father does. And, and I hope that my children consider this. If they think about what I do and the actions, whatever they do, that reflects on me. 
And I think it's a good idea for children to remember that. And all of us need to remember that, that we ought to honor our parents. That's, that's part of that. Which commandment is that? Fifth commandment. Somebody said first. Did I hear that? Fifth commandment. That's the fifth commandment. Now, for us parents, we would say, yeah, that's the first one. Honor your father and your mother. That's the first commandment. That's the first commandment with promise. The Bible does say that. Now, notice the connection that is made here in verse number 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, what is a church compared to in Scripture? I mean, what do we have that the Bible compares a church to? Well, I'll tell you, marriage. The Bible compares a church to marriage. The relationship that Christ has with the church is like a man with his wife. It's a marriage. So that tells us there's family involved. And what this verse is telling us, if a man can't control his family, then how could he ever deal with discipline in the church? He has to be able to control his own house well before he can ever come and control the house of God. So if he commands no respect and authority in the home, he's not going to have any respect or authority in the church. So the pastor has to rule his house well. And I think that that also includes the submission of his wife. And I'm glad my wife was here tonight and able is feeling well to hear this part of the message. Uh, no, it has to do with the submission of his wife and... Uh, I know that there have been pastors that have been ruined by their wives. A wife can be a, a, a good help or she can be a, a huge detriment to his ministry. Now, I do thank the Lord for my wife because there is nobody that could support me more than she does. She takes care of me. She's always, she always has me on her mind. She always has my welfare on her mind and she's always protective of me. So you want to be careful. You don't want to say anything about me to her. Uh, because she can get mean if she wants to. If you, so don't say anything bad about me to her. But a pastor, you know, his, his wife has to be in submission to him. But what this does not mean, it does not mean that a pastor has the right to make his wife meek like a little mouse and beat her into submission. He's not to walk all over his wife. What he does is he models a good marriage with her. And she submits because that's good for the marriage, not because... She lives in fear of a tyrant. And that's another thing that I've seen throughout uh, my life in this business, in ministry, is I've seen a lot of men who were tyrants over their wives and treated them wrong. And uh, the Bible's against that as well. Now, the eighth thing here, uh, H on your listening sheet, is that the pastor is not to be a novice. Verse 6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, what does he mean by novice? Well, that means a new convert. You don't put a new convert into the office of the pastor. You need somebody who is seasoned. You need somebody that has some life experience, somebody that has some Bible knowledge, somebody that has good discernment, somebody that's fought some spiritual battles and won them. Now, a few years ago, we had a young man in this church that uh, thought that he should be the pastor of the church, and you know how he proved that he was unqualified to be? He went against the Word of God, against a biblical method, method to try to obtain it. So he rejected what he previously claimed was the calling for his life, and suddenly it became God's calling for him to be the pastor of the church. Well, there's something wrong with that kind of a calling. That man was a novice. Now, I hope that he's matured in the years since, and I think that he probably has. 
But why don't we call an unseasoned person to be the pastor of the church? Well, we have the answer right here. Lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And you know what a lot of people think? They sit in the pew and they imagine standing up here and preaching to people. And they think, you know something? I could do a much better job of preaching than he can. Now, why, why do they think that? I could be a much better pastor than he is. Why do they think that? Well, maybe it's because they can. They might, might be able to be. But what's the motivation for a person who has not been called to be the pastor to think that he could do a better job of preaching or to handle the church better than the pastor does? I mean, what could possibly be his motivation if God hasn't called him to be a pastor? Well, it can only be one thing. It would have to be pride because he wants someone to hear him and for someone to tell him, boy, you sure do a great job. We love to hear you speak, whatever it is. So they love being applauded. They, they love uh, the pride issue is, is what the, what's driving them. So these are feelings of pride. You know, even a seasoned pastor can be driven by pride. I mean, that's, that's possible for anybody that gets up here to be driven by pride. Now, one thing that you find out about this job way too soon, if you study for hours and you do your very best, the glamour of standing in front of people and preaching soon goes away. Uh, Believe me, it soon goes away. That's going to wear off. So if you're looking for a pat on the back, if a man gets up to be a pastor because he wants people to pat him on the back, well, if he's telling the truth all the time when he gets in the pulpit, he's more likely to get a knife in the back than he will a pat on the back. I mean, that, that's what happens to pastors. And people think, well, pastoring a church, you know, that's 45 minutes of speaking. Get up 45 minutes and you're done and everything's okay and it's all over with. No, a sermon, getting up and preaching like I'm doing to you right now, uh, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, well, most of the time, will take 12 to 16 hours of preparation just to preach one message and then you've got to do it all over again. It just starts over for the next week. And that's not a bad thing, not complaining about that, but it's not an easy thing for us to do. Um, it takes a lot of preparation. And every sermon that you preach has its critics. Now, you don't know how, how um, discouraging it is sometimes to study for hours, to try to explain as much as you can about the Scriptures, and then to have a church member come to you and tell you, well, you're puffed up with too much knowledge. You're giving us too much information, and we don't really need all of that. You're just, in other words, wasting our time. Now, I'll tell you for sure, a novice is not going to stand that for very long. Now, first of all, he probably wouldn't put in the time anyway. But either this is going to happen to you. If you, if you haven't been called, and you know what the calling is, either you're going to be lifted up with conceit in the office of the pastor, or you're going to be torn down with the criticism See, the devil is out there to lay a snare for you. I mean, the devil fell because of his pride. So what's going to happen is you're going to be torn up by the devil whose life's work is to make it, make a pastor regret that he ever stepped into a pulpit. And so if the devil doesn't get you with the critics, he'll turn the tables on you to make you think that you're much better than you are. And Satan, of course, himself, he wasn't content to stay in the position where he was to be a chief angel. He wanted more. He wanted higher position. And so because of that, he was lifted up with pride. And the Word of God says he sinned. Now, that's what happens with a novice. 
He's not content to sit in the pew and to put in the study time and to wait for God to call him. He wants to preach. He doesn't want to be the average person that sits in the pew and listens. He wants to be the man. And you run into that, into that a lot of times with, uh, with people that uh, think that they could be the pastor and have no calling for it. Now, as I said, though, there, there are many pastors that are seasoned, seasoned, and yet it's still very hard to fight pride. There are some pastors that are idolized, and they encourage people to idolize them. I've seen that happen a lot of times. They demand a certain type of loyalty, and so they become arrogant, and that causes the man to talk more about himself than he does about Christ. Now, you listen to some of these guys when they preach, and just, you know, Brother Jorge likes to count the number of times that I say hell. Well, with these fellows, you can count the number of times that they say I. You just keep listening to the eyes, and you'll find out that that preacher is the hero of every story that he tells. Now, I remember a conference a few years ago that I went to, and some of the headline preachers were these kind of people, and they talked about themselves all of the time. And I I tell you, I wouldn't go across the street to hear one of them again because that's not what a pastor does. That's not what we're supposed to do. Hide the pastor behind the cross. You don't need standing ovations. You don't need anybody to clap for me. Paul said, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what do we do? The pastor stands behind the cross and lifts up Christ. Now, let me give you one more characteristic. I'll take this one, and then I'm going to save two more uh, from a different scripture that we'll look at next week. But the ninth one, letter I in your listening sheet, is that a pastor must have a good reputation. Who do you choose to be a pastor? Well, I think it's doubtful that you would choose the worst scoundrel that you could find. I mean, you're not going to go looking for somebody that can't get along with people and is known to be a, 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 a shiftless, dishonest cheat. That's not the person you're going to look for to pastor. Now, we missed a word a moment ago, which is the word hospitality there in verse number 2. Hospitality means a lover of strangers. A hospitable person is one that never met somebody that he couldn't like, or at least he would try to like them. And that's the way a pastor has to be. He can't be bothered by people, and he can't act like, oh, well, just get away from me. I just don't like to be around crowds. I don't like to be around people. Now, a pastor has to be the kind of person that someone would say, you know, I met him once, and he's a pretty nice guy. He wouldn't be someone that you'd say, well, I met him once, and I don't know. He seemed to be a little bit creepy to me. I mean, we're pastors, not lawyers, not, not uh, used car salesmen. So you don't want anybody to say, well, that sure is a creepy guy. Well, you know, you you don't want to make your first impression the absolute judgment. But I do believe this, that, that, that a man who's going to pastor a church, he does have to have exude a certain aura about him. And I think that you'll understand what I mean when I explain this, is that there are some people that you meet and, and you think this, well, that, that person, you know, he seems to be a, a pretty good person. He seems to be a, a pretty good Christian. He, he's the kind of person that I would like to be around. And you meet people like that, that they're just somebody that you would like to get to know. Well, that's a good quality in a pastor. They, they have sort of a, and this is not an, an ethereal thing and not a new age type of thing, but he has to have some kind of a, you know, he has a Holy Spirit aura about him that, that people really kind of like him. Now, I, um, 
I know I just said that I don't like preachers that always talk about themselves and preachers that are always the hero, but if you'll indulge me just for a, a little bit, for just a moment for me to say something, um, when I get paid a compliment, I kind of like to hold on to it, so just just, uh, just indulge me just a little bit here. I, I got a, a compliment once that I'll always cherish. Uh, when I was about to be installed as a pastor, Brother Grant Evans came to me, and he said something to me that was very, very nice. He said, he said, I really like you because you are a people person. And he said that, that's his way of saying that you're a friendly person. And one of my favorite Christians of all time was Grant Evans. Uh, I've met a lot of Christians, but he stands out there just way above most Christians that I've ever met. And Grant and I had a real good relationship with one another. I mean, he would come over here to the church and he'd do different things. And sometimes he'd stop in to see me and he would just ask to see if there was something that I needed, something he could help me with that would make my life a little bit easier, make my office a little bit nicer. And that was really good for Grant to do that for me. But there's one thing I didn't like about Grant. And that was if you wanted Grant to do something for you, he wanted to start at 5 a.m. And I'm not made for 5 a.m., so that was a little bit of a problem. But, but he always was, was helping with things, and, and I really appreciated Grant for that. But a pastor does have to have a good reputation. And what he needs to do is to protect that reputation. Now, here's the thing about it. There are some people who just will not like you. That's a fact of life. We all realize that. Every pastor realizes that. There are some people who just will not like you. And some of them take that a step further, and that is they will tell lies on you. And this is why it's so important for the character of a pastor to be good, because when someone comes along and tells a lie, the people need to be able to say, it can't be true. No way that that could be true. Now, the scriptures tell us, I mean, they guard a pastor this way. Uh, in, in the fifth chapter of, of this same book in First Timothy, verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, I'm going to add a little bit to that. And what I would say, uh, when someone comes to you with an accusation, you say, uh, I mean, if your pastor's what he should be, you should say, no, that can't be true. Go and get two or three witnesses, and I'll still have a hard time believing you. That's the kind of reputation that he needs to have. But sadly, there are pastors that somebody says, guess what he did? And the other person says, I knew it. That scoundrel, that low down, no good for nothing. I knew he would do something like that. You don't want a pastor with a reputation like that. So pastors have to guard their reputation. Why? We represent Christ. That, that's what it's all about. We represent Christ. So I hope that I do that. So uh, when, when the time comes that you can say, well, he no longer represents Christ. He no longer tells us the truth. He no longer has a very good reputation. And we're a little bit skeptical about that fella. Then that's the time to take me down. Because I want to be just like Paul says, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the sum total of everything that I do here, and I hope that's what you have on your mind too. Exalt Jesus Christ. Lift up the name of Christ and him crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the time we spent together tonight. We thank you for your people who've uh, come out on this holiday evening to 
uh, hear the hear the word of God. We so much appreciate the people of Brian Baptist Church, and Lord have been treated so well, and uh, we just can't express the the goodness that people have shown to us, and we're just so thankful for that. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless our people. We pray that the message tonight has been of some benefit, and we do pray, Lord, that uh, we would understand very clearly we work together here as a church and all of us have important places to play in your work and just help us to be in those places where we need to be when the time comes to serve you so thank you lord for this and we give you the praise in jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to this presentation of the berean baptist church of ronert park california if you would like further information about our church please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.